customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome to the Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. It's uh, week one, and uh, speaking of Trader Joe's, Bruce, I'm guessing quite a few of our listeners are going to be heading out to uh, tailgates this week. Um, can I tell you about a couple interesting barbecue sauce flavors from Trader Joe's? Stu, I love barbecue sauce, and that is, I put it on salmon, I put it on chicken, I'll put it on almost anything. So what okay, do you but if you've ever done, I agree, have you ever done cold brew coffee barbecue sauce? I have not. I can't imagine what that tastes like, to be honest. Well, honestly, uh, it tastes like coffee, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's an, an interesting um, spin on traditional barbecue sauce. Also, and I can't say I've had this one yet, truffle flavored barbecue sauce. Yes. And also um, for your tailgates, they have a great selection of wines and pretty much anything else you need. You know, you should go to Trader Joe's. We always do. I know you do too, Stu. So... All right. Happy tailgate season, everybody. It's week one. And Bruce, one of our favorite podcasts we do every year is we have on Dave Revson from the Big Ten Network, because he and Jerry DiNardo and Howard Griffith, and those guys go see every Big Ten team in the preseason. It's a great way to, to get us a start and assess that league. And obviously, several of their teams are in big games this week. A couple of their teams were in a quote unquote big game, ended up being the best game of week zero, Nebraska and Northwestern. And uh course you didn't need to bring uh any food or any beverages of your own to the stadium in ireland the other day where the where the um credit card machines went down and people i I guess for two hours all the beer and all the drinks and all the food were free at that stadium you saw the, the videos of people standing in these long lines i hope they didn't miss too much of the game because it was the rare week zero game bruce it turned out to be pretty exciting Yes. Full disclosure, I only got to see the first half. Um, you the, missed the best the, part. Yeah, the PB football team I coach in the summer league, we're in the playoffs on Saturday. So I saw, you know, Holinsky looked really good. And, you know, he drove them down the field at, at the end of the second quarter. I think he had had over 200 passing yards by that point. And you're like, okay, this is going to be a little more entertaining game than I was expecting because obviously last year, that was one of the few teams that Nebraska actually looked good against. And then I came back after a long day to find out, whoa, Nebraska lost. And then to find out how they lost, um, our, our uh, colleague Mitch Sherman, who does such a good job covering Nebraska for us, I ended up reading his column uh, that night. I was like, oof. The last thing Scott Frost probably needed more than a loss was a loss where it was like squandering a lead and a really questionable in-game decision where he's obviously taken you know he's not the play caller anymore but still just the the special teams gaff of another special teams gaff did you see this coming when he made that decision no i'm gonna be honest i was not as down on it as apparently most of the internet was because at that time they're up 11 and at that moment northwestern was down both of its starting cornerbacks one came back 
So, and they had just burned one, the, one of the backups for a long touchdown. So I think he was thinking we get the ball back. We hit him deep again, game over. Um, but didn't work out that way. I think what he failed to account for, and frankly, what I failed to account for anybody really who is predicting Northwestern this season, they ran the ball down Nebraska's throat in the second half. Evan Hall has always been a decent back for them, but he looked much more physical in this game. And then Cam Porter, who uh, as a freshman two years ago, stepped up late in the season and then was hurt all last season. They were both just, you know, really strong, uh, their offensive, line, their offensive line also looked like it was probably better than, you know, we've heard a lot about Peter Skoronsky. You know, he's been hyped up quite a bit. The offensive tackle is a big recruit. But I just think across the board, that was big. Because really, as much as Nebraska struggled, they haven't been bad on defense. Yeah, and of course, you know, with these first games, you just you won't find out till later, right? It was Northwestern's offensive line that good? I mean, Nebraska's defensive line was good last year. And then, of course, um, we heard a lot about the transfer from TCU, Mathis. So it was definitely surprising to see see it play out the way it did. But like you said, I mean, this was always going to be a, every week now is a Scott Frost referendum game. And it was just the perfect storm of the onside kickback firing on them. Northwestern twice coming back from double-digit deficits and just another close loss. First time in college football history, apparently, that a team has lost seven straight games all by one score. So I uh, can't imagine that was a pretty flight back from Ireland for those guys. Right. So now we got Nebraska sitting here. We'll talk to your, talk about your alma mater a little more in a second, but they are coming off this loss. The first half of their schedule. So this game, again, Northwestern, they whipped last year. You would think they would have won that game. They are, they have some really winnable games. The one that's, that's a hard one is a game that, our big noon crew is going to be at uh, it's in Lincoln in a couple of weeks when Oklahoma comes there, you know, you look at the schedule, they had a really good chance of maybe opening up five and one, you know, you'd think at worst four and two, you know, you look at what they have. It's not like a real gauntlet. Um, I mean, if he was five and one for the first six games, you'd feel like, all right, he has a really good chance of saving his job. After this, what percent chance would you give him of keeping? He's his not job? saving his job, Bruce. I mean, wow. I think Is this the only like Stu saying a hundred percent chance he's getting fired. You give him no chance. One uh, percent. I mean, he's he's just he's he lost the fan base already coming into this year. They were going to give him like one more hail mary. I, I think the fact that this was circulating on Twitter and I did not realize that I knew he restructured his contract last year. The buyout gets cut in half on October first. After October first. That seems like the most intentional, we might have to fire this guy in the middle of the season move I've ever heard. So uh, they play Indiana that week. You would think at worst, they'll be three and two at that moment. So I'm not saying that it comes that next day, but it basically paves the way for him to be fired at some point during the season. They're, they've had it. Nebraska wait, wait, fans wait, wait, have had wait, wait. it at this point. Wait, the, if they lose to Indiana, at worst, they could be two and three. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not saying if they lose to Indiana, he's he is gone the next day. I'm saying if they maybe lose no, they, to Oklahoma but win the other games, then they then they'd be two and two. They would be no zero and one now. Beat the next two teams, lose and to then Oklahoma, Oklahoma, and then beat, and he'd be three and two going to a Friday uh, if, night road if game they beat at Rutgers. Indiana. Okay, yeah. if they beat Indiana, no, I, I think this is this has become like Clay Helton. Like this is just the same story over and over and it's just like delaying the inevitable. So it'll happen at some point this season. It is weird to basically know that about a coach and it's not even September yet, but nothing. you just keep waiting. Everybody keeps waiting for something different. And, you know, they kept talking during the game. Um, Brock Heward, you know, 22 transfers, so many new faces. Mitch Sherman talked about it last week and then they go out there and it's the same product. All right. So just to be clear, you said he has a 1% chance of keeping his job. That's right. All right. I'm going to give it much higher than that. Okay. What is it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know. 15%. No, that's not that much higher. It's higher though. I mean, it's quite a bit higher. I mean, I think the way he saves his job is they go on a, a hot streak. And then towards the end of the season, when they play Michigan, Wisconsin, and basically they play Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa to end the season. 
So the question is, when they go into those games, will they be seven and two? Because at that point, you know, you're you're uh, might be able to save it. I just don't. Can why I would anybody? One thing? Why would yeah. anybody have any faith in Scott Frost to win a big game at this point? He can't even yeah. win the little games. Let's talk about this for just one more minute. Um, you, of all people, are not very high on the Oklahoma Sooners. That will still be a pretty significant game. It's a big noon game. Like, we're going to be there. If they win that game, and that was not a blowout game last year, if they somehow win that game, you know, all of a sudden then they're three and one. It's It would be a kind of a – like, I. that's why I would not write them off. Well, I think he could win that game if Oklahoma is as vulnerable as I think they will be. I just don't see him – there's just no sign that this team can be consistent and avoid the self-inflicted wound. So maybe they rise up and win a big game. That wouldn't surprise me. Casey Thompson looked like he could, uh, you know, have a good season. But then they'll stub their – a very the very Nebraska thing would be, okay, let's see here, beat Oklahoma, and then two weeks later lose at Rutgers, right? That would That would be – the Nebraska thing to do. Um, but that, but at that point, they could, if that happened, yeah, that would stink for them, but they would be four and two, you know, like, I really I think you're putting too much thought into this. I think Trev Alberts made up his mind after last year and that's why they reduced the contract, you know, got him to reduce the buyout. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I, here's what I hold out on. I don't think I agree that it's like Clay Helton just because, Scott Frost is, is from there. He played there. They have more of a connection to him. Like the USC fans, they didn't want Clay Helton ever. And Scott Frost did a really good job at UCF. I, I have my theories of why it's not worked there to this point. Um, Look, apply, by all means, what is your theory? I'm not going to get into it just yet. But all right, well, you know, no, I, I do think some of the decisions that, that have been made there, big picture wise, there's some more people who've been involved that I don't think have probably turn out to to be giving him great wisdom on some of these things and i am not saying that's all of why a lot of stuff has backfired but i don't think the tone around there has just been it's not been ideal now the other parts are, are more obvious they don't have enough playmakers i mean look adrian martinez was a one-man show to a large degree last year and casey thompson ended up you know he made one you know one miraculous play and he had some other things kind of blow up in his face because i think still you know, you add Trey Palmer, who's dynamic and everything, but you just don't have enough firepower where the margin for error is not that great. You're right that it's, you know, he is the the native. I mean, I think that's why people there have re- tried to remain patient as long as they have, because unlike, you're right, unlike Clay Helton, there's a, I mean, I think the biggest thing is there was this feeling of if he can't get it done, who can? I mean, he was, you know, 10 out of 10 Nebraska athletic directors would have hired the same coach. I mean, it's just, there was, it was a no brainer. So if he can't work out, then there's a bit of a, you know, existential crisis of like, gosh, or can we ever be good again? But the, you know, you said that they're not similar situations that, yeah, here's another reason. Clay Helton took USC to the Rose Bowl in his second year. Scott Frost is 15 and 30. Let that sink in for a second, 15 and 30 at Nebraska. That just should never happen. Should we turn our attention to week one? Before we do, let me just ask you. Your alma mater is either usually nine and three or three and nine. It's true. Nice win. I guess this maybe this will be a nine and three year. Okay. It's an every other year. I just have, it's a weird phenomenon. I, I don't want to go there just yet because, like I said, I mean, if Nebraska turns out to be terrible, the then... offense looked good. They're, Nebraska's defense has not has not been terrible. That was a really like credit to Mike Bajakian. Certainly credit to Holinsky. I thought that you know, big picture, bigger picture. You know, I think anybody who knows the story of his family, I think you had to be feeling very happy for for him to look as sharp and play as well as he did. I mean, the main reason I was pessimistic going into the season for them was I didn't think they had a quarterback still. Uh, Helinski really, really struggled last year and he was still the guy, but he looked very good, um, much more decisive. Look, they put up like almost 550 yards offense from a from a team that was miserable on offense last season. Um, like I said, I think they have two good running backs now. So um, week we'll one see. shout out, Ryan Holinsky. Good for you. Ryan Holinsky gets the week one shout out. Um, and maybe for shout out number two, Clark Lee, Vanderbilt. They went to the, they went all the way to the Island and just stomped Hawaii. All right. No, I got one more name for you real quick. So yes, it was against uh, Florida A&M. Take it for what it's worth. 
But I had heard in the preseason that George Petaway, the fresh, highly touted freshman running back for UNC, has some some star power. And the part of the game I tuned into, which honestly wasn't that long a part of the game, but the part I saw, he broke off a fantastic touchdown run. He's got uh, he looked explosive. So keep an eye on him for UNC this season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So as we go into week one, a lot of, lot of interesting quarterback decisions that were, you know, just got announced or are about to be announced. And the most unique one goes to the most unique man in college football, Jim Harbaugh, who sent out a tweet on Saturday that he has in fact decided how he's going to handle the Cade McNamara, JJ McCarthy Derby. And that is they're both going to start a game. Uh, Cade McNamara will start this week's opener against Colorado state. And then J.J. McCarthy will start the weekend after against Hawaii. Certainly unusual, but I guess if you're that torn about it, two games you are probably going to win, whoever the quarterback is. You know, it seems like a fairly un, not risky way to uh, to give them both their shot. Does it, like, do you think any differently of Michigan right now? I mean, at all? No, it seems like... Um, well, look at it this way. Cade McNamara was the starting quarterback all last season. He took him to the playoff. If he ha- doesn't have a stranglehold on the job, I would think that means J.J. McCarthy played really well throughout the offseason, and that's a good thing. I'd agree. And look, the receiving core is much deeper. Ronnie Bell is, is healthy. They have a lot of guys. That, you know, Even without Hassan Haskins, I think they have a really dynamic run, you know, running back situation with a lot of speed. I think the O-line will be good. I think this will be a... I think this will probably be an even better offense just because of the receiving threat that they have. And so if they can get the ball downfield more, you know, they're going to be fun to watch. I mean, I think there's been very, very high expectations for JJ McCarthy. He was such a big recruit. I think, I think it was seen as inevitable that he would be the guy at some point, but then Cade McNamara led him to the playoff. What could you, you know, you're not going to make that change. It's a little bit like, uh, yeah, a little bit like Georgia the last couple of years. Like once Stetson Bennett got going, you couldn't justify bringing in a JT Daniels or whoever. But the difference is, I think, like, do you feel like this is just delaying the inevitable? Week three, he'll be like, all right, we watched both guys. Now J.J. McCarthy's the starter. I mean, look, there's no preseason games in college football, obviously. I mean, Hawaii, as you alluded to, did not look very good against Vandy. Uh, well, so that roster got decimated with the whole Todd Graham It thing. did. Yeah, it did. But I again, I think this is an opportunity for them to see it play live a little bit differently and see how it see how it looks in real as opposed to just in camp. But uh, there's another quarterback's decision that is another top 10 team. And that was in College Station. Jimbo Fisher going with Haynes King, you know, who got hurt last year and we didn't see much of him. He's everybody thought he's pretty talented. I mean, Connor Wegman, who came in this past year, big arm, really talented kid, certainly. And then you had Max Johnson, who, by the way, beat Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies last year um, at the end of the season for LSU has played a lot. So it was an interesting quarterback battle. I mean, whoever was going to take it over has got a lot of speed at running back and some interesting skill guys to work with. I mean, are you, I think this is one where it's like if he hits the ground running and plays really well, I think it's like he may not look back. But, you know, everybody I've talked to thinks Wegman is really, really talented and he's going to be hard to hold off. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the most encouraging thing, kind of like what we were just saying with Michigan, is we've seen Max Johnson. He definitely showed potential at LSU. He won some games. He won so, games on the road in the SEC. Won in the swamp. He's won, you know, like he. I think the thing with him is, you know, he had a bunch of different coordinators, and like I think that was really hard on him, even though he's, you know, his dad is an NFL quarterback. He had a he had a tough hand because I think he just had a really porous offensive line and he had multiple offensive coordinators and guys in his ear. Well, so my point is if he's, you know, you, you bring him in as a transfer, if you think he's going to be the starter. So I, I just think that um, if, if Haynes King was able to hold him off, that's a good, that means that's a good sign for Haynes King. We just didn't see him much last year. He got hurt in the first game. So um, it's, it's one of the AMs, one of those programs where, People don't get to see much, and it was just kind of held as a tightly kept secret. So that'll be an intriguing one. He probably will probably won't get a great sense of him until they play uh, Miami in the in week three. Um, all right. So then you've got Brian Kelly has decided to keep. He has made a decision uh, between Garrett Nussmeyer and Jaden Daniels, but he's decided to keep it a secret from Florida State. I always um, chuckle at that a little bit, as if you know. Have, do we not think Florida State has spent the last several months watching tape of both those guys and will be prepared for either one? Well, both of those guys are really mobile, though. It's not like you have one guy is dra- – like one guy's played a lot more than the other, obviously, in Jaden Daniels. But both guys run around and are – you know, you're going to have to prepare for an athletic quarterback. I don't think this is like, to me, as different if it was like Miles Brennan was one versus the other. Miles Brennan was not as mobile – is not as mobile as the other two guys. I mean, Garrett can really sling it around as, you know, he's got a little bit of like Johnny Manziel style to him. Mm-hmm. And obviously people who watch Jaden Daniels knows he can really run and he can make a lot of plays off script and everything. So um, again, question there, whoever, whoever's going to be the starter has talented receivers to throw to. Um, I'm, I like, that's a great way to end the week one. Cause I think both teams are kind of wild card teams that, have, that were down last year. I was just going to ask you your thought, because we've talked, already talked Oregon, Georgia, and Ohio State. uh, We even talked West Virginia Pitt. Um, That LSU-Florida State game is intriguing. I know Florida State hasn't been great the last few years. They haven't been good the last few years. They haven't been good, but, like, I happen to think they're going to be better, that they're still going to, you know, kind of on the right track. And then with LSU, so much change there. You just you just don't know what to expect from them. I, I mean, you'll see it on the site later this week. So I'll just go ahead and say I'm picking the Knowles. Why? I think it sets up well for them. You know, I think there's there's uh, now. Granted, playing in New Orleans does not set up well for them. No, it does not. But I just think you know, I think Brian Kelly will win there. I think it could be a rough first season. Uh, it, the roster was not in great shape. He did plug some holes with the transfer portal. Um, but it's still, I mean, I think they will be a work in progress team this year that might beat an L, uh, you know, might, might lose to Florida state and then turn around and beat somebody good. I think they're going to be that kind of team. I think they have a, one thing he does have is a really talented defensive line and that on in a road atmosphere like that, I think that's going to be a problem for Florida state. I, I think, you know, Florida state's offensive line has gotten better. It used to be abysmal. But I think that's just a you know Mason Smith. You got really good edge rushers around him. Um, they're really talented. Their D line room is still loaded, and I think between that, you know, if it's Jaden Daniels, he's got plenty of experience. You know, Kayshawn Butte will be, you know, a, an All American caliber receiver. I I think that's a tough to me a tough spot for Florida State just to open there. If it was in Tallahassee, I might think differently. Um, but that's definitely an intriguing matchup. So you're telling me Florida State's butt kicking of Duquesne didn't get you on the Knowles bandwagon, huh? Not yet, not yet. But if they were if you surprised as I was to find out that Duquesne has a football team, I was not because I do a lot. You know, like I'm because of the freaks list. I feel like I know way more about FCS football than I should. Duquesne's running running back. This is going to catch you a little by surprise, but Duquesne's running back is Demarcus Ware. Not that one, though. Not that one. Florida State had three guys go over 100 yards rushing in that game, but again, it was against Duquesne. All right, any other 
storylines that stand out to you going into this week's games before we get to our guests? No, I think we're going to either hit on them before or we're going to hit on them. I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, can't wait to see Oregon, Georgia. You know, like I'm, I am, um, what's the word? Like, not uncharacteristically. I have an uncanny level of enthusiasm for the backyard brawl on Thursday. Would you say you have an enthusiasm unknown to mankind? Yeah, I think that's a good way to sum it up. I've never heard <laughs> No, that I know. You're before. fired up for it. I'm fired up for it. I'm even, I mean, I'm very intrigued by Penn State Purdue Thursday night. You know, uh, I don't have a sense yet of how improved Penn State might be. Penn State's um, going to going to have a really good run game, I think. They have three big time backs, the two freshman backs. That's a pretty bold statement, really just given good. that that's been their weakness the last couple of years. Well, you got to remember, at one point it was going to be a strength, and then it was, you know, tragically the way uh, Journey yes. Brown's career ended. I mean, he was a special running back. But uh, these two kids they have and brought in now, I mean, Nick Singleton was the bigger recruit. I mean, I'm not saying he's Adrian Peterson-esque, but he's going to be really, really special. Um, and then, you know, the other running back they got from IMG, uh, Katron Allen, is maybe even more physical. I mean, that's, you know, they have three big-time running backs, I think, right now. So, and I think it's also year two for Sean Clifford with Mike Yursich. I think, you know, everything I heard is he's much more comfortable. And so I know how you feel about Sean Clifford. Um but I, I could see, you know, this is, this is intriguing because Purdue was really good last year. We know Aiden O'Connell's really good. He's got his Iowa transfers in there that'll help as skill guys. Um, it's a Fox game. I will be in studio for that. Um, Thursday night's going to be pretty fun. Let me, let me just real quick, you know, we don't have to go into a huge dissection of it, but uh, Marcus Freeman was told at his press conference today on Monday that uh, Ohio State is a 17 and a half point favorite. And unlike most coaches, he'll just be like, uh, okay, whatever. He said he was, he thanked the writers for bringing that up. He was going to take that into the team uh, and use it as a little bit of fuel. Don't you think that's a really big number for, I believe it's number two against number five? If I was a handicapper, that's probably where I would have it. Okay, sure. Like, I think. Notre Dame will, will keep it interesting for a half. I don't think Notre Dame is going to be able to keep up in a there. It, like I could, it wouldn't surprise me. They lost by 21 points. If that's the case, if that happens and I'm not saying it won't, it kind of doesn't like, help well, the narrative that they're just not, you know, they're they're even on his way out. Brian Kelly was still insisting. We're not that far away. We're not that far away. Look how close we, we played Alabama closer than anybody in that playoff year. Uh, if you just go to Columbus and get dragged in Marcus Freeman's, it's not his debut, but his, his first season opener, you know, that's not a great sign. That means they're not quite there with the elite yet, even though they have over the last several years, either made the playoff or been close to making the playoff. I mean, to me, they, um, you know, Marcus Freeman's recruiting, at least by the recruiting rankings better than they have in a long time there. And I think that's what it's going to have to take for them to be able to compete. Now, look, uh, Ohio state is my preseason pick to win the national title. So it's not like we're talking about them playing a really good top 10 team. This is the team I think is the best team in the country. And it's also, it's kind of the dynamic of CJ Stroud is now the established starter. And to me, he's the guy I think is my Heisman favorite going up against Tyler Buckner, who, while talented, this is his first game. I just think it's like my comparison is you are going into a three-point shooting contest against Steph Curry. Like, you're going to have to keep up. Notre Dame uh, does not have a ton of depth at receiver. They're running game. You know, they don't have, like, Travion Henderson. I just think it's hard. It's hard to go on the road and play in that kind of environment against a team that is, like, primed, I feel like, for a statement game. You know, I just don't, you know, I just don't think it's going to bode very well for them. What Notre Dame does have, I, I think, you know, everything you said just makes perfect sense. What Notre Dame does have is two great pass rushers. And I'm interested to see, I mean, CJ Stroud had a phenomenal year last year, so I'm not taking away from it at all. But if you remember the Michigan game, he was under pressure throughout was really the, I think maybe the only game all year where he was. And he, that was the one time he struggled. So I'm interested to see if Notre Dame can get to him, can get to the passer. 
and disrupt that point. offense a little bit. If they don't, then yeah, Ohio State might win like 45 to 24. One other point just to button it up because you said Brian Kelly just talked about how they played Alabama closer than anybody. The final score of that game was 31 to 14. And that game, by the way, was not a home game for for um, Alabama. This game is a home that, game. For that Ohio game, State. I said Brian Kelly said that. I, I'm not going around no, touting I'm, how I'm, close I'm, they I'm, kept that game. Yeah, they played yeah. good defense in that game, as I recall. They just couldn't really yeah, Notre Dame's problem has been they just they'll have a, you know, Michael Mayer's a stud, right? They'll have one of those guys on offense. But they don't have, you know, CJ Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Yeah, uh, Travion Henderson, all those other receiving. You know, we're going to see a couple other Ohio State receivers probably have huge seasons. They've just never been able to stockpile skill talent. Ohio like State that. right now might have five receivers who are better than the best receiver at Notre Dame. I don't think that's like a crazy. Thing. I don't think that's a crazy thing at all. I mean, Ohio State's what would have been Ohio State's number four receiver last year almost won the Bolitnikoff playing for Alabama. I mean, it's the Brian Hartline receiver room is just incredible well speaking of ohio state speaking of the big 10 we always we do this try to do this every year uh we've always admired how big 10 network sends their uh you know their their crew on the road to visit all 14 campuses in the preseason i can't imagine a more valuable way to get an assessment of those teams than to see them all up close in person so let's bring on dave Revson. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, we are pleased to be joined now by Dave Revson from the Big Ten Network, our friend and many, many times over guest of the Audible, because Dave, we are just so jealous that you get to go see all of the Big Ten schools, uh, all the Big Ten teams in person. You must, does this make you the most accurate preseason prognosticator on earth, right? Because you can actually size them up together. Yeah, well, I think there's two issues here. One is I probably don't actually know what I'm looking at, right? That that's probably a part of the issue. And the other is I more in a more serious note, like we see one practice and it's obviously better than seeing no practices, but like I would have told you if you would have asked me for a percentage on Nebraska beating Northwestern based on what we saw at practice, I probably would have said between 80 and 90%. I mean, wow. I just thought Nebraska was the better team physically. Um, but, you know, Fitz told us that they had had a really hard practice the day before and that they had really practiced well. I didn't think they practiced great the day we were there. But again, you're there for one day. You don't see the entirety of it. So sometimes we see teams on a good day. Sometimes we see them on a bad day. But I think it is really helpful for me, just personnel, and you do get a sense, I mean, physically, like physically Ohio State for years has looked different than everyone else. And then you kind of gauge, okay, like who's closest to them? Whose threes look closest to Ohio State's threes? 
And, and that helps you, you know, at the beginning, like the first time we went on tour, it was Illinois. Uh, hmm. That was the 2007 season where they ended up making the Rose Bowl. And it was apparent when we were at camp like that, that was a physically gifted team. So I, I do think we, we do learn a ton. I've learned a lot from Jerry and Howard and now Joshua Perry as well. You know, I, uh, again, obviously I, I didn't play the game. So, you know, I mean, I think we can all judge athleticism. We can all judge talent to a certain extent, but it's interesting to pick their brains and get a sense of how they look at things and why they look at it the way that they do. And, and that now going on, this is our 16th year of doing this. I feel like I, I'm a much better judge than I was uh, in year one. Dave, I'm curious, having seen you at, at Big Ten Media Days in Indianapolis, probably like two or probably a month ago, I guess. Um, one thing that jumped out at me was I got a chance to spend a little bit of time with Jim Harbaugh and some of his players. And I would say that program more than any of the others from my just, you know, again, it's talking to people. It's not seeing them practice. It's not walking into their facility for three days. But I felt like the vibe I got from him and from them was very different from where my head thought it would be and what it sounded like. And I was probably more open to being, all right, I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to beat Ohio state and, and win the conference again, but it definitely changed things a little bit, much like I've kind of felt like the year before some of the things I heard from Josh Ross and certainly from Aiden Hutchinson made me a little more, gave me a little more buy-in on, on Michigan than where it was at maybe for some other people. So I, as that as a backdrop, what is the program that you probably saw an eyeball that maybe flipped the most for you compared to what you thought of them? And then what you came away when you got back on the bus? I think probably Michigan. And I just felt like I believe that we were going to come into come out of this tour with the notion that there was a massive gap between Ohio State and everyone else. And I think the truth of the matter, based on what we saw, is that there's a significant gap between Ohio State, Michigan, and everyone else. I think Michigan, it was a great practice the day we were there. Now, again, part of it is what you see. They ran a ton of team. It was really crisp, really well done and, and well coordinated. But just talent-wise, I mean, man, that offensive line is something else. I mean, I know, you know, last year that was the Moore Award group and they lost a couple starters, but uh, Oluwatimi, the transfer from Virginia is, I mean, he is physically impressive. So again, Vistardis was a, a super center, but I, I don't know that you lose anything. In fact, I think maybe you gain something there. You have Ronnie Bell back at wide receiver, that wide receiver group looked fabulous. Eric All was probably the best tight end that we saw on our tour, I mean, just the way he runs routes, his, his, his hands, his athleticism. I think the questions are on defense, but, but their defense, you know, won as much as the offense did kind of head-to-head when we were there. I mean, certainly the offense, which I think is going to be tremendous, wasn't dominating by any stretch in, in the team stretches that we saw. So, I don't know, man. I, I Again, I, I don't know that I'm ready to pick Michigan. I mean, the game's in Columbus, if nothing else. But uh, it wouldn't shock me at all if, if Michigan ended up winning the Big Ten again. I, I think they're going to be really, really good. The team that I'm most um, interested in, just because I just don't know what to expect, is Penn State. They've been really underwhelming the last two years, and yet at the same time, we all see the recruiting rankings. Uh, we know some of the guys they've got coming in. What's your sense on whether they are – you know, because for a few years there, they were right there with Ohio State. They obviously haven't been the last couple of years of where he has the roster at this point. I think it's going to be really fascinating. I mean, there's talent there, Stu, as you said. Uh, they have recruited extremely well. I mean, you kind of like you look at Nick Singleton and you say, OK, yeah, I get why that guy's the Gatorade National Player of the Year. But frankly, Katron Allen, the other freshman running back, was incredible the day we were there. So, I mean, I think they've got two backs there. In addition to the guys who were already there last season, I mean, they just have to get better up front. Uh, the, the stat of the year to me in the Big Ten last year was that Penn State's longest touchdown run last season was seven yards. <laughs> seven yards. Like, how is that even possible, right? Uh, but, but it was. And they just they have not been great on the offensive line really for almost the entire time that we've been going there. And I, I know the sanctions, which were a long time ago now, 
they had a huge impact on that offensive line. And when James got here, he felt like got there. He felt like they were really far behind on the O line, but they've had plenty of time to catch up and they've certainly gotten recruits that are well thought of there. It just, you know, they, they just weren't great last year. So I, I don't know. I mean, they certainly didn't look like Ohio state's line or Michigan's line. So I think that's a, a question mark. Sean Clifford looked really crisp the day that we were there the transfer they got Mitchell Tinsley from Western Kentucky is going to be fabulous and then I think there are just some questions like Manny Diaz has big shoes to fill man Brent Pry did an incredible job and they lose a lot on that defense I mean Jaquan Brister and Castro Fields and Eva Cady who had a really nice year as a transfer for them there, there's a bunch of guys who help them a ton on defense particularly up front who they don't have any more. I, I think their secondary will be really good. But and then for Manny, you got to deal with Jeff Brom in the first game on the road in a what I think is going to be an incredible atmosphere in West Lafayette. So I don't know. I mean, I I think James is a really good coach. So I I wouldn't put anything past him. But I think it would be a heck of a coaching job for them to be in that discussion for winning the East at the end of the year. A few years ago, Minnesota came out of nowhere and. Uh... You know, after they barely beat South Dakota State in the opener, then they went on this roll. Um, last year, as you mentioned, Jeff Brom and Purdue had a really, really good season, won nine games. Who would you say is the team that you think people are not talking about enough that you're like, okay, this is the team that's going to surprise some people? It's probably maybe it's out of the maybe it's out of the West Side because it seems like it usually is. But is there somebody there that you're like, this is the team that I think is is the biggest sleeper here? Well, I don't know if they're going to be on the level. I mean, Minnesota and Purdue, I think, have been mentioned so much as sleepers. I'm not convinced they're sleepers anymore at this point. I'll give you one on each side that, that I think maybe could be better than people think. On the west side, I'd say Illinois. I just think they're really well coached. I and mean, we obviously saw them this week against Wyoming. I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to read that much into it, considering you know, Wyoming was tweeting out, if, if you're a quarterback and you want to come here, please do in, in December. And, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I get we, we shouldn't read too much into that result, but I just think Illinois is really well coached. I, I you know, Barry Lunny is a hire that made a lot of sense. He's got background with Brett. I think we saw that Brett wants to maybe evolve the offense a little bit. I'm not sure we got a, a full sense of it in, in that game against Wyoming because I don't think he had to show a ton, but but it, it feels to me like he wants to open things up a little bit. And then Ryan Walters did an incredible job with that defense. I mean, guys, they were 11th in the nation in scoring defense in conference play last year. 11th in the nation. It gave up fewer than 19 points per game. So I, I think they're kind of poised, not necessarily to win the West, but like I'd be shocked. They have the worst record in the last decade in the Power Five other than Kansas which is just shocking to me that Illinois could be at that level of futility. To me, the arrow is definitely pointing up. I'd be very surprised if they don't end their streak of, of 10 straight losing seasons this year and, and make it to a bowl. I, I think they're good enough to do that. And then on the other side, I think I'd go with Maryland. Um, I really, that wide receiver crew is incredible. Jay Sean Jones, Dante Demas, both look healthy when we were there. Kim Jarrett's really good. You know, Jacob Copeland led Florida in receptions last year and, He's like the fourth guy there. Their offensive line looked very good. I'm not convinced they have great answers at running back, but but probably good enough. And then Tungvaloa is, is a big-time QB. I mean, I, I know everyone saw him in that Iowa game because that was the game where he was in the national spotlight, and he had far and away the worst game of his career, certainly far and away his worst game last year. But, he, I mean, he's good. He's mobile. He's got a great arm. I, you know, he, there's not a throw he can't make. I, I, I think he's, he just needs to cut down on bad decisions. And, you know, he made a bunch of those in the Iowa game that cost him last year. And then we'll see on defense. And I don't think they have to be great on defense. They just have to be better than, you know, 13th in the big 10 in scoring defense, which is what they were a year ago. But Brian Williams did a nice job those last two games. Uh, running that defense, probably their two best defensive performances of the year, including the annihilation of Virginia Tech in the pinstripe bowl. So I'm bullish on Maryland. I just it's hard because who are you going to pass in the Big Ten East? But but I I really do like them a lot. It does seem like from having done the predictions, I mean, I do think Ohio State's the class of the conference, but it's very deep. I ended up 
in the predictions, I had 10 teams going to bowls. And then after this weekend, I upped it to 11 because, you know, after that, after that Northwestern offensive performance, how could I not have them there you go. a bowl game? Right. Is that, you know, you, you've got the, the alum uh, allegiance too. Was that uh, a sign of things to come? You can never exactly tell from the first game, but it, it seemed to me that the offense looked night and day better. Stu, to say I did not see that coming would be an absolute <laughs> understatement. I, I just, they did not, I know I alluded to it earlier, but they did not practice well the day that we were there. And I would say first and foremost, at quarterback, Ryan Helinski did not have a good day. I think we all left there thinking that Brendan Sullivan, their redshirt freshman who was kind of competing for the job with him, ought to be the guy. Hmm. And and then they go out, and, I mean, Halinski was incredible, right? I mean, he was 27 for 38, I think he was. He threw for well over 300 yards, most for a Northwestern quarterback in four years. That was just the second time they've been over 500 yards of offense in 55 games. So I don't know. I mean, Nebraska was a pretty good defense last year, certainly a, a middle-of-the-road, solid Big Ten defense. I don't know. I mean, look, I don't think Northwestern was airtight on D by any stretch in that game, but they certainly toughened up as the game went along and came up with a couple big turnovers. I don't know. You just never count out Pat Fitzgerald. I just think he, he gets what it takes to win at that program. It has been far more cyclical here in the last four years than it had been previously. I mean, they were a very steady program. They would make a bowl every year. And it was just a matter of, would it be a new year's bowl? Or if it was a rebuilding year, would it be a bowl you make when you go seven and five? Um, You know, so I, I don't know. I mean, I was, I was blown away by how good they looked, but you know, Illinois looked really good in the opener against Nebraska last year too, and ended up being a five win season. So we'll see, but clearly Northwestern's better than we thought they were. Dave, uh, Stu, uh, my colleague on this, right now puts it a 1% chance that Scott Frost will be able to save his job. 1%. Mm. Uh, I will not ask you to put a percentage on whether you think he will save his job or not. But I will ask you what you think of Stu's percentage, you know, <laughs> like belief. Hey, forecast. Full, you got you to gotta present the full picture. So I said that earlier, and Bruce is like shocked. He said, I would have it way higher. And I said, well, what's way higher? And he said, 15%. <laughs> that is way higher. I mean, it is way higher. Tech, yeah, no, yeah, it mathematically is, it is, but it's still not higher. great for I Scott Frost. Got, I may not have gotten to Northwestern like you two, but I know <laughs> 15 is way higher than one, Stu. Let, let me say this. I think I'm closer to Bruce than I am to Stu. I just think there's a lot of season left. I really do. And, and I think... Like, I just don't know what the obvious solution is. Like, let's kind of, let's play it out to, okay, you're going to fire him. Like, if it comes to that, who are you hiring? Like, I don't know if there's the, uh, there's no Scott Frost out there like there was the last time they went through this with Mike Riley. So, like, I think you give him every opportunity Look, if he beats Oklahoma, which I don't think is unreasonable to think in a transition year, sure. some big time personnel that is left, like you don't think that'll go a long way in Lincoln. I, I just, I, I don't know. I, they have a really good crossover schedule. They play both Indiana and Rutgers, who from the East were definitely, I thought, the, the probably the two worst teams we saw. I'm not going to look for a euphemism. I mean, I, I think they have the most work to do. Or they do play Michigan, so that's a little bit more challenging. But the West is kind of wide open, guys. I mean, I, you know, I, you could make an argument for Minnesota, Purdue, Wisconsin, Iowa. I don't know that any of them are going to overwhelm you. Right. So I'm not ready to write Nebraska off at this point. Um, I, I look, I get it. I mean, I understand why Huskers fans are frustrated. I mean, the numbers are ridiculous. You know, the first team in the history of college football to lose seven straight games, every single one of them by a single digit margin. I, I don't have any reason to believe it's going to change, but I also think that if you win one game like that, if you just prove to yourselves, we can win one of those close games, things have a way of, of steamrolling and they, they certainly have enough talent. Like when we were there, you don't turn your head and just say, Oh, this is a future team. They're not a future team talent wise. Well, maybe we'll have a little bit of a pool and we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll play it out over the course of the season. I would re- be remiss. So for the most part, it's week one of the season. We've turned our attention to football, but it is our first time we've had you on since the big, big 10 expansion news. I'm just curious. 
what it's like behind the scenes at the conference network when something like that happens. Like we, Bruce and I, every sports writer in America, except for John Wilner was caught completely off guard, but I have to think you guys had some sort of heads up, right? Well, what, what uh, we had been told was um, that there might be some conference news that morning, some significant conference news, and they asked us to go in. Um, and, and so we went in. I, I think I was of the belief, honestly, that it was going to be the schedule release because wow. there had been all this talk about the divisions maybe being dissolved. And, you know, I still think there's a possibility that they go divisionless here going forward. It, it seems pretty likely. And so my gut told me that's what we were going in for. And I don't think anyone really knew exactly what was going on. Um, and then very close to the time that John broke the story, I mean, very close to that time, I became aware of what was going on. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, I, now where we did have the heads up was we kind of as a, as a principal don't go on the air with news until our schools announce the news. Right. Right. I mean, that, that's just the way, that's the way it's going to work at any conference network. So John had broken the news, but USC and UCLA hadn't made an announcement and the conference hadn't made an announcement. So that gave us enough time to kind of, it ended up being about five hours, I think, until their announcements came up. So that gave us enough time to kind of mobilize, to wrap our heads around it, to come up with a guest list, all those kinds of things. Um, you know, that, that was, I don't, I don't know what would have happened had like, you know, that announcement came out at that moment. Um, but, but yeah, it was a, it was a crazy day. I mean, it was hard. Like my jaw hit the ground. Really? I mean, it, you know, I really was, I was astonished just because I think to me, I always worked under the assumption that expansion would be from contiguous States because yeah. it had always been from contiguous States. I think as soon as I kind of got that out of my head and I thought about, the kind of athletic programs the Big Ten has, which are broad-based athletic programs, are very into Olympic sports, as you guys both know. You know, they they want to they want to support kind of a broad spectrum of of teams. USC and UCLA are obviously fabulous there, second and third all time in terms of national championships won uh, at the team level behind only Stanford. So that made sense. Um, obviously, the media market made sense. The the stature of the universities, they're research universities and it's a little different with USC because it is a private school obviously Northwestern had been the only private school in the league but still high academic profile kind of all those things that you think about with with the Big Ten and all that stuff makes sense and so I, I think we just now we're finally at this point or I'm at a point where I got out of the box and kind of realized that you don't have to if you're going to expand it doesn't necessarily have to be to a, a state that borders where you already are. Yeah, I've been saying to people since whatever, June 30th, or like, this to me was more shocking than Oklahoma and Texas, because I mean, first of all, Oklahoma and Texas almost left a decade earlier, but then yeah. they did leave. And it's at least somewhat geographically sensible. I did not think, I thought it would only happen one day, but the idea of two, you know, West Coast schools joining a, a conference that has a school in New Jersey, just, it just shatters everything we thought was possible with realignment. So, um, so then what is it like now in that, you know, the rest of us are all trying to report and speculate, what are they going to do next? Are they going to go get the other West coast schools, et cetera, et cetera. Like you said, you're not going to go on there and do anything that the, the conference hasn't, you know, blessed or officially announced, but is it still a hot topic of conversation? Well, your guess is as good as mine in, in terms yeah. of what's going to happen. I mean, you know, no, no one calls me to ask me what I think. So, uh, nor should they, but so I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think we're all in that same spot of, it feels like Notre Dame holds a lot of cards right now. Mm -hmm. And the big 10 has made no bones through the years about its interest in Notre Dame. Uh, and I'm sure the sec would be interested in Notre Dame too. I mean, just why wouldn't you be right? I mean, it is a great brand that resonates from coast to coast. It's a really good program. that's been in the college football playoff and, um, you know, it just, they make sense on every level. So I feel like that's kind of the, you just kind of wait and see if what they do. And then beyond that, I don't know. I mean, I've heard the same rumors that you guys have heard. I, I have no special insight into any of it, but I, 
I don't know. I guess I, I am just kind of of the belief that whenever there's an earthquake, there are aftershocks. And it just feels like that was an earthquake. And the notion that everything else will just stay the same after that strikes me as somewhat implausible or unlikely. But I don't know. I mean, it's been a while here. Nothing's happened. So I, I mean, I, I sway by the day in terms of whether I think, you know, especially with the Pac-12 angle of it. I think the most fascinating dynamic with the, first of all, you, I mean, the whole tone, Kevin Warren's tone is just so different than what Jim Delaney's would have been in terms of we're going to change the sport and we're going to, you know, kind of take no prisoners. And, you know, the, the most fascinating thing to me is what that, um, I don't know, division is in that room of presence of, of those who want to do that, like be very ambitious and, you know, take over the West, if you will. And those who are like, are we really going to destroy and put out of business the conference that we've been partners with for since the 1940s, right? It's always been big 10 PAC 12 or PAC 10 yep. and PAC 12 and the Rose bowl. Like they were this holy triumvirate and one is now one move. It's all it would take is one more move, whether it's Oregon and Washington or Cal and Stanford for the PAC 12 to be toast. And the big 10 is kind of holding their fate in its hands. So it's a really, um, you know, it's a really, I guess, kind of unsettling time there. But real quick, have you guys considered how you're going to extend the bus tour to L.A. Um, 2024? <laughs> so this was when we covered it that day. I don't know if you guys saw our coverage, but this was a this was a topic of conversation between yeah. Howard and Donardo and me. Jerry and I are all for the bus tour, man. I mean, let, let's go over the mountains like the Donner Party, man, and hope it comes <laughs> out better than it did for them. Uh, I, I think. <laughs> Howard's, uh, you know, Howard's more on the uh, on the flight uh, angle of it. We actually flew this year. We flew to Lincoln. We flew to Rutgers, and then we were kind of driven from Rutgers back to Wisconsin. So I, I think we have actually kind of abandoned the notion that we have to drive to all of them. But I got to tell you, and you you guys know what great guys Jerry and Howard and Joshua are, and you know I consider them among my very closest friends. We've been doing this now. It will be 15 years tomorrow. Uh, I don't want to date the podcast, but August 30th is, is the 15th, 15 year anniversary of the launch of the Big Ten Network. And, uh, you know, we finish each other's sentences and all that stuff at this point. So I love the tour. Uh, if yeah. it could be extended by another week, great. Uh, I mean, we have a super time. Uh, we learn a ton. I miss my family probably more than they miss me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, but it, uh, we'll see. I will obviously go out there. We'll go to the practice of every team that's in the league, wherever they are. But, uh, but I, I, I fear it's not going to be on wheels. It might be in Ireland by then. We, we should, <laughs> we shall see. I'm glad you brought up the 15th year anniversary because the last thing I wanted to do on the way out here is plug Scott Docterman from the Athletics article uh, on the 15th anniversary of the Big Ten Network that went up on the Athletic on Monday. It's uh, probably a lot happier tone for everybody than the one I did a few weeks ago on the Pac-12 network. Um, it's, I mean, you got, I mean, I'm sure you're, you and everybody at the Big Ten network is going to read it, but I think, I don't even think you have to be a Big Ten fan because just if you're a college sports fan and, you know, with realignment, everybody's obsessed with the TV component of it now. I mean, you guys really changed the game. There's no, there's no other way to put it. You know, so many people thought it was going to like, how is this possibly going to work? I'm sure that first year when you guys were having trouble getting distribution, maybe you guys started thinking that. And then obviously yeah. it's been, you know, uh, uh, nothing but upward climb since then. So, you know, we encourage people to go on the athletic and read Scott's article. Yeah, it was great. I spoke with Scott for about an hour on that article. I haven't had a chance to totally read it through yet. I kind of uh, skimmed through it this morning and going to get a dive into it a little bit more later, but uh, you know, he's, obviously an incredible reporter and, and asked some, some fantastic questions and really just got me thinking back to that time. And I certainly would not have anticipated that it would alter the landscape of college sports in the way that it has. It just kind of seemed like a good job opportunity for me, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it is remarkable to see the impact that it's had. All right, Dave. Well, thanks for coming on. As always, we really appreciate it. It's always a great primer for the season. Uh, you know, I know you already, Enjoyed one Big Ten or a couple of Big Ten games this past weekend, but enjoy the full slate this weekend. All right. Thanks, Stu. Thanks, Bruce. Great to talk to you guys. All right. We loved having Dave on as always. Guys, we could not be more excited for 
week one starting on thursday night again join our pool on run your pool the link is in the episode notes and we will see you next time Thank you.